Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigalov, where he can share ideas and thoughts with you. He gets to the heart of the issue so that you can find the truth. The views and opinions expressed are his and do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. Dr. Sigalov was either off-duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigalov was not in uniform at the time of recording. Now, to Dr. Sigalov. Thank you for joining me again. Uh, I first want to give a special shout out to all my Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for, for helping and donating and helping me in that manner. I want to thank Shell. I want to thank Sam and Angela Shelke at the $20.20 level that they've self-made. Uh, the Plandemic Reprimando at $17.76 a month. We have Ty. At the self-made $10 level, we have Katie and Kevin. At the Refine Not Burned, $5 a month, we have Linda, Emmy, Joe, Pat and Bev, PJ, Rebecca, Marcus, Elizabeth, and then The Courage is Contagious at $1 a month. Amanda, Jay, Spetsnasty, and Darrell, thank you so much for giving. I truly appreciate it. It is, It has been very helpful to help these coming, and you know, I truly appreciate all the support and, and the prayers. And you know, if you're interested in getting one of my patches, I still have those for sale, and I have some I've got some stickers for sale also. Uh, these are just decals that you can stick anywhere that it's legal. you're legally allowed to stick these things. This one's kind of hard to see, but it's, it's the same patch, just in the subdued colors. Uh, again, all of this is to help me with my legal fights. I've spent over, well over $60,000 in legal uh, fees so far. Plus, I have had a ten thousand dollar grant on top of a ten thousand dollar grant on top of the sixty thousand uh, dollars. This is a big fight, um, not a physical fight, obviously, for all the CIA agents out there, but a um, legal fight. Right, everything needs to be done legally, properly, and uh, with no vigilante justice or anything like that. Uh, but the tide does seem to be turning. All right, so today I have a very special guest, and so his name is Tom Haviland, and. Tom is a retired major from the Air Force, and he's worked in various sectors. He's an engineer uh, by trade. Um, he's worked in some um, in some different. How, do you, how would you say that? Just different program offices, aircraft program offices. He's retired, retired back in two thousand nine. Uh, sitting around at home, he saw this this past Thanksgiving. He saw this one movie, and there's been a lot of controversy over this. I have some friends that were in the movie. Um, I was not in the movie. I was not involved in the movie at all. It's called Died Suddenly. And in that movie, um, you know, some people are quibbling that, oh, well, it, you know, it's not 100% completely accurate. Well, it was pretty accurate. Okay, so the amount that may not have been accurate, may have been inaccurate, was maybe 1%, maybe 10% or less. What they des described and showed was very accurate for what we were seeing. And... Um, you know, there's, there's always the detractors that say, oh, well, you know, this one little video of someone collapsing may not have been accurate. Okay. But what about the overall overarching theme of the entire video was correct. And so Tom, when you were watching this, what happened? Well, you know, when it first started, it's about an hour long documentary and about half of the film is, uh, devoted to uh, these embalmers that are seeing these strange white fibrous clots. But when the movie first starts, they start off showing like Bigfoot and the moon landing. And I, and I said, what's going on here? So, but you know what? I decided to stick with the movie and I'm glad that I did. Because it's about uh, 13 minutes and 15 seconds into the film. An extraordinary statement is made, Dr. Sam. A uh, embalmer from the state of Indiana, Mr. Wallace Hooker, who owns his own funeral home there, was lecturing at an Ohio Embalmers Association conference in Columbus, Ohio, on the 26th of October in 2022, just a couple months ago. And during that lecture, it was a three-hour lecture, 
he was speaking to a room of about 100 embalmers. And at one point, he showed photographs of these white fibrous clots that he's been pulling out of his corpses for about the last year and a half when he first started seeing them. And he asked the audience of 100 embalmers, have you been seeing these white fibrous clots? And he said, almost all of the 100 embalmers in the rooms raised their hand, yes, they are seeing these white fibrous clots. So then the next question he asked him is, well, when did you start seeing them? And the whole group agreed that it started about 16 to 18 months ago in the middle of 2021, which is about six months after the vaccines rolled out, the COVID-19 vaccines. Is it a coincidence or is there some kind of correlation? You know, who knows, right? But it is kind of suspicious. So I thought that was an extraordinary statement, regardless of, like you said, what happened to the rest of the movie. And there were some problems with the accuracies in the rest of the movie. <clears throat> that statement is either true or it's false, right? Either those 100 embalmers raised their hands or they didn't. So I went to bed. This came out the week of Thanksgiving, and it was the, a Monday, the week of Thanksgiving. I got up the next morning, Tuesday morning, and I said, you know, I bet you no uh, journalist in America is going to follow this story and find out what's going on. So I decided to do it myself. I live in Beaver Creek, Ohio, which is a suburb of Dayton, Ohio. It's about an hour north of Cincinnati, which is where the headquarters for the Ohio Embalmers Association is. So I called them, and I talked to their secretary, Mr. Dan, uh, David Hicks, I talked to their president, a Mr. Dan Becker, and I talked to their second vice president, a Mr. Woody Wilson. And I asked them, did you happen to be in the room at the time that Mr. Wallace Hooker said that he uh, asked the 100 Balmers to raise their hands, and, they, and he said that they did? Unfortunately, none of the, th the three gentlemen happened to be in the room at the time. But the last gentleman, Mr. Woody Wilson, the second vice president, who owns a uh, um, funeral home up in Marysville, Ohio, about an hour north of me. And he also uh, does his own embalming. A lot of funeral directors do with their own, own embalming as well. Mr. Woody Wilson uh, said that, Tom, I've been seeing the white fibrous clots. So I said, wow, you know, here's confirmation, right? I've met a guy who's seen these white fibrous clots. So I wasn't sure where to go from there, uh, Dr. Sam. So I, the first thing I thought about is maybe I should contact my state attorney general. So, you know, he's the highest uh, office, uh, law enforcement officer in the state. He, you know, kind of controls all the sheriffs and the sheriff count and, and the counties, 88 counties in Ohio. And I, and I uh, wrote an email to him saying, I don't know if there's a crime that's been committed here. I don't think there is. But we have a situation where we may have these 100 bombers that are part of this uh, Ohio Bombers Association that are seeing these white fibrous clots, but nobody seems to be speaking out about it publicly. Should you do something about it? Should you investigate? You know, should you call the Ohio Embalmers Association, get a roster of everybody attended, and then you know do some investigation, find out, get them on the record as to seeing whether they see these clots or not? Unfortunately, crickets, Dr. Sam, from the state attorney general's office. Nothing. No response. I finally eventually got a response just saying, thank you for your, for your submission to us. And that was it. There was no nothing like, you know, we're going to act on this. We're going to do anything. So I said, oh, great, you know. So the next thing I said, well, what, what should I do now? Well, uh, multimillionaire Steve Kirsch, who actually I think was the inventor of the optical mouse and made millions and millions of dollars because of that and has, has been involved in other corporations. He, when the whole vaccine, uh, COVID vaccine thing came out and he started to see injuries with it, he actually left his multimillion dollar job and decided to start a vaccine safety research foundation. 
and he posts a Substack article uh, every day. And I decided to comment on one of his Substack articles with this information that about you know talking to the, the three officers of the Ohio Bombers Association, and you know getting one of them to say, "Yeah, I've seen the white fibrous clots." Uh, there was about 800 comments to that Substack article that day, and what was interesting is there was, and I put my my own contact information in the comment. I put my email address and my phone number, uh, and I got one call. I got one call from a young woman up in Northeast Ohio, not too far from where I live, uh, and her name was Laura Kasner, and Laura, uh, eventually, it's, I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but she happens to be an expert in SurveyMonkey, an online survey tool you can use to, you know, to conduct surveys wherever you want to. And that's exactly what I had in mind. I wanted to do a survey nationwide to try to corroborate these six or seven embalmers that were in the movie died suddenly that said they were seeing these white fibrous clots. And also, you know, maybe try to get some of the Ohio embalmers and other embalmers from around the nation to come forward and say, yes, we're seeing these too. So that's what we did. We, uh, I created uh, a, like any good reporter, you answer the questions, who, what, where, when, why, and how. I left two of the questions out. The who, because there's a little, there's a sanctity to the embalming room. You don't like to talk about the dead and, you know, by name. Also, the embalmers themselves, I could sense that they were a little leery about wanting to answer a survey with their full name. So I said, well, we'll allow them to answer the survey anonymously without knowing who they are. But, you know, knowing maybe what state they're from, we'll ask them what state they're from. But that's it. We won't ask them for their name or any identification. The other question uh, embalmers are not really qualified to answer is why. Why these clots are forming. You know, they're, they're just embalmers. So the questions I focused on are what, what are you seeing? Are you seeing these fibrous clots? When, you know, when did they start? When did you start seeing them? Where, where in the body are you finding these white fibrous clots? And then how much, you know, and what percentage of your corpses are you seeing these white fibrous clots? So the survey centered around those four questions. I also asked a couple questions. One of the embalmers, the, Mr. Woody Wilson, who uh, I mentioned earlier, the second vice president of the Ohio Embalmers Association and a funeral home owner and Embalmer himself also said, Tom, I've seen an increase in the number of traditional jelly clots. Uh, they've, they've been around for those are the one reddish in color uh, called jelly clots, red jelly, grape jelly clots, or current jelly clots. And he says, I've noticed an increase in those as well, actually starting in the year of COVID, and then uh, uh, you know, increasing as well in the years 2021 and 2022. And I've also seen an increase in the viscosity of those. So I got the, it was about seven questions to the survey, got that all finished up, and then I gave it to my assistant, Laura, to load into SurveyMonkey. So then the next thing I had to do, Dr. Sam, is figure out, well, how am I going to distribute this thing? You know, how am I going to get it out to all these active embalmers all over the country? So I used a two-prong approach. I decided to use a top-down approach. I contacted by telephone the uh, presidents of the 30 largest states in America by population. Uh, their their uh, state funeral director associations. So, uh, yeah, to distribute the survey to them. So I sent the survey and I, and I put a link to it in the in the email that I sent to them. And then you know they, these uh, associations have hundreds of members underneath them. 
Ohio was kind of a strange case, but Ohio had actually two embalmer associations as well as a funeral director association. You have the, the Ohio Embalmers Association in Cincinnati that I mentioned earlier, and then an association of embalmers of Cleveland, Ohio. So I said this to them as well. But most states don't have that. They just have a funeral director association. So I sent it to, to those uh, most populated 30 states. And I also used a bottom-up approach. I actually went on, on the web and I found the uh, email addresses for over 800 funeral homes. So, for example, like in California, I sent uh, the survey to funeral homes in the Los Angeles, San Diego, San Jose, Sacramento, San Francisco, Oakland areas, for example. So. We use this two-prong approach, this you know kind of top-down approach through the uh, state associations to send down to their members, and then this bottom-up approach by sending directly to the funeral homes. So despite that, uh, sending out to all those uh, addresses, we only got 128 responses, which I was a little disappointed with because I was preferring to get something in the area of 300 or 400 responses to get a little bit more statistical significance. But I still think that the 128 responses that we got, Dr. Sam, are uh, good enough to show a signal. Because the interesting thing is, out of the 128 embalmers that responded to the survey, 88 of them said they are indeed seeing these white fibrous clots. That's 69%, 69%, almost 7 out of every 10 embalmers responding, saying they are seeing these white fibrous clots. So that got my attention right away. The next question that we had in our survey was, uh, what years did you see these white fibrous clots? And I gave them the option of not one year, but you know, I gave them years, plural, at, on the survey. And on the survey, we had the years 2018 through 2022. So 2018 and 2019, I put on there as control years, you know, before COVID hit at all. And then 2020, of course, is a year that we had the COVID virus, but no vaccines yet. And then 2021 and 2022 as years that we had both the uh, COVID virus and the vaccines. And the results were that the main consensus of the embalmers are that this clots, these white fibrous clots, started in the year 2021 and then continued into 2022. There was a small amount, you know, that, which would implicate the vaccines as a possible cause, right? Uh, there were a, there was a smaller amount, about a third of those embalmers saw the clot start in the year 2020. And my theory around that, and theory that I've heard, heard other doctors, I'm not a doctor, but I've heard doctors talking about this, is that the COVID virus itself has a spike protein on the surface. And that spike protein tends to fo form what's called amyloid proteins, basically misshaped, misfolded proteins that then can, can then uh, be difficult to break down in the body. We all have a uh, enzyme called plasmin that's used to break down internal clotting. You know, internal clotting can be good when your, your body's trying to repair a blood vessel, but then that clot needs to be broken down at some point so blood can flow freely again. Plasmin uh, is an enzyme in our body that does that for us, but it becomes difficult for the enzyme to attach to a misfolded protein. And these spike proteins have a, uh, from the COVID virus have a, have a tendency to uh, form these misshaped misfolded proteins that then become difficult for the enzyme to attach and break it down. My theory is that effect got supercharged in 2021 and 2022 with the introduction of the vaccines. Because if you recall, the vaccines themselves, you know, were supposed to stay in your upper arm, produce just a limited amount of the spike protein, and do it for a few days to a week or so, right? 
just enough to elicit an immune response from your from your immune system. We know that's not what happened, right? The shots go all over your body. The mRNA didn't stay just in your upper arm. And we've also uh, discovered that the mRNA can produce the spike protein, turn your body into a spike protein factory for months, as opposed to just days or weeks. So my theory is, is that it's, it's helping to, you know, supercharge and produce more of these misfolded amyloid proteins that then turn into these white fibrous clots. Now that's speculation, but, you know, and more scientific research needs to be done, but I think it is a plausible theory. And like I said, several doctors out there have been touting that. Let me, um, there's a couple of things you said that I think are really good that I want to kind of hone in on. I I really like how you took out the the who, right? Because I don't think embalmers have the HIPAA laws like doctors do, but you still want to give that respect to the deceased and and to the families. And, And the why, I think that's very prudent to say, you know, you are not educated in diagnosis and, and treatment, and and so you, you really can't say why. And that's not a dig at anybody in any stretch of the imagination. No, that is just they don't take it as one either. They understand that's not their that's right. not their job. Uh, one thing that you had um, said about there is an increase in the current jelly clots. So current jelly clots are just kind of these these like they look like like current jelly. It's it's a food. We always describe things. As food, they're as reddish strange, in color. strange things that doctors yeah. do. Yeah, they're kind of reddish in color. They're really they're they're like gelatin, and that's normal clots that we see that we've been seeing since all of eternity. And um, I think that the so my theory is a little different than some other docs, but I think that the increase in the current jelly clots is I would suspect that is from that spike protein that we're seeing from from this virus or whatever toxin or whatever it is. Now the the fibrous clots that we're seeing, I I don't think, now I, I am happy to say that I could be wrong, and I probably am wrong, and we'll find out in the future someday, um, but I don't think that the these fibrous clots are from the spike protein. I think they might be from the lipid nanoparticle, because so many people, they... They, they have a different approach to this whole thing. They think it's the mRNA, which is bad, and there's lots of evidence that it we may not be able to do that technology, like that we think we may be able to, and we may not actually be able to. But let's say we can, that technology does exist, and we are able to do what we think we can do with it. I think that is about 50% or less than the injury that's actually coming from these injections. And I think the majority of the injury is coming from the um, lipid nanoparticle. So these are the, they call it cholesterol, and that's what they put into these things. Because they told us that the, the shot would go into the arm, it would go into the deltoid, and it would stay there. They've done a couple things since then, and I noticed this as a doctor going, well, they're not withdrawing when they're injected anymore, and they've changed that across the board for all injections, which is a terrible idea, because sometimes you could hit into a tiny, tiny small vessel, and you always were supposed to withdraw first, and if you see a flash of blood, then you you withdraw a little bit so that you don't inject, right, so you don't direct the the injection directly into the vessel, which would take it into the, uh, the venous system and straight to the rest of the body, right? We don't want that because there could be particulate matter in there, which could cause strokes and all sorts of problems. So they, they, that's one thing they changed. But this lipid nanoparticle, we know by some declarations that I made where I reference specific patents, we know that these lipid nanoparticles, these long hydrocarbon chains, they, call D, they cause DIC, which is disseminated intravascular coagulation. Now that would be a traditional normal clot, not these fibrous clots. Uh, we know that it causes other problems in the body. We know that they put in DSPC and DSPE, 
And DSPC and DSPE are specific lipid nanoparticles that were both patented at the same time to get medications through the blood-brain barrier. So they never intended for it to stay in the arm from, from the word go. They lied to us from the start. And that patent was believed from 2017. So it's so some of it may be the mRNA and the gene technology. And there's also some people that think that mRNA and gene technology, we just were not that advanced. And if you look at the, the breakdown of, of these shots, and this, this goes in particular to the people that say, oh, well, I got the, the DNA, the one in, and done, it's not the mRNA. I don't know if that is the issue. DNA in itself makes me more concerned because it can go straight into your DNA. There is no intermediate. There's no reverse transcription needed. It just goes straight into your DNA. And a good example of that is chickenpox. If you get chickenpox once in your life, it goes into your DNA. It stays in your DNA forever, and that's how you get um, shingles later in life. Um, so the mRNA DNA thing, I think those are not good arguments to say, well, at least it's not the mRNA. Well, but you had the DNA. But I think the real issue, the big problem is the bioweapon, which I think is the lipid nanoparticle. And that may be causing these clots, these fibrous clots that are unnatural. And, and one thing that I think that, go ahead. Well, one thing that um, that you had mentioned on another show, this is the Daniel Horowitz show, um, is that some of these embalmers were saying that they where they found them, they found them in the the arterial system. Now, one thing that could explain that is these these fibrous clots may have happened after the person was deceased, but these clots are very unusual. And and there's actually video of people taking, of surgeons taking these fibrous clots out of the arterial system and the venous system of living people. So it would make me think that these are probably all preformed before they were deceased. I, I, th I think there's strong information to indicate that they are being formed prior to death. Because that was one of the arguments, yeah. Is it was, one of the arguments is it was just blood coagulating after death. We know that's not true. They're white fibrin, fibrous structures. They've actually sent uh, some off to a lab for analysis, and they've come back uh, saying that um, there's very little iron, magnesium, or potassium in them. You know, you talked about the red uh, grape jelly clots earlier. Those have been around, like you say, forever. They're reddish in nature because they contain a lot of iron, right? Blood normally has a lot of iron in it. These white fibrin structures don't contain iron. That's why they're, they're not reddish in nature. They're whitish in nature. So we know that the, these white fibrous clots are not blood congealing or coagulating. So, <clears throat> so basically, um, what I did then is, uh, the next question I, I asked, like you say, is where in the body are you finding these white fibrous clots? And the two main injection site points for embalmers are the, uh, carotid artery in the neck, yeah, and then all the, the iliac artery down in the pelvis that goes down then into your femoral arteries. So it's not surprising that the embalmers found most of these white fibrous clots as they're trying to, you know, put embalming fluid through the system at the injection site, their main injection site point. So the uh, the main point that they found the clots was in the neck area, followed by the uh, the legs. So the last question, yeah, I, I wanna... go ahead, go ahead. Um, I want to ask you about this real quick, yeah. and, and if this wasn't specifically in there as a question, I don't know if anybody volunteered this. I spoke to a embalmer 
uh, maybe a year ago now. And he was saying that typically he, he would only do in the carotid and in the jugular. And he, what they do is they, and I don't want to get graphic too graphic, but I do have to explain some things. Think of these as tubes. And what they would do is they would uh, cannulate the tubes or put something into the tube and they would run fluid through it and it would come out the other tube. Okay, so go in the artery, come out the vein, just like normal circulation, and typically they could, um, they would just do one injection site. And what this embalmer was telling me, I was talking to him for a different reason, and just we just haven't been able to line things up to have him come on because he, his father actually died of Kretzfeldt-Jakob, um, which is goes into that misfolded protein thing that you were talking about which is a very interesting, very and terrifying thing. But so he, he said, normally we do one injection site and we can flush out the whole body, get all of the blood out, put the embalming fluids in there and it's fine. And he said, since he's noticed these shots have, have started an uptick, he has to do five injection sites. So the head and neck, each arm and each leg, which, and he, it's because he, his reasoning is because there's so many of these fibrous clots in the arterial and the venous system that he can't get anything to pass through. Now, could, have, could these have worsened after death? Sure. But there's a lot of evidence to show us that they didn't just worsen after death, that they were present during life. Right. Because they're seeing them in fresh bodies, too, not just you know, bodies that have been sitting around in, in storage for a while. And 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 I did have several. Co- I'll read you several comments at the end, Doctor Sam, that uh, that talk about that. Yeah, there was there was one embalmer who uh, said it used to take me about an hour and a half to do an embalming, but now that's about two and a half hours because I got I keep stopping to try to pull these white fibrous clots out so I can <laughs> get the fluid in. So, and if you can imagine your heart trying to pump against that. You, because these machines, I'm sure they can turn up the pressure on them, but eventually, like, your heart can only go up so much in pressure and contractility. And so at some point, something's got to give. So it's, it's not surprising that people might be stroking out or having heart attacks or, you know, getting embolisms with these white fibrous clots maybe breaking loose and blocking a critical pathway in the circulatory system. So it all kind of pieces together, doesn't it? You know, the, the last critical question that we asked is, what percentage of your uh, corpses are you seeing these white fibrous clots in? And that was an astonishing answer as well, Dr. Sam. There is a uh, 57 out of the 128 embalmers that responded to the survey are seeing the clots in at least 20% of their corpses. There were 23 individuals, uh, embalmers, that saw the clots in 21 to 40% of their corpses. There was another 23 embalmers that saw these white fibrous clots in 41 to 60% of their corpses. And there was even 10 embalmers that are seeing these clots in 61 to 80% of their corpses. Can you believe that? I mean, it's shocking, isn't it? And one of the things we wanted to make sure in the survey, by the way, we were talking about the, the, the traditional clots earlier, the grape jelly clots. And bombers for years have also been seeing these things they call chicken fat clots. They've been around forever as well. But they're yellowish, uh, they're smaller, and they tend to tear very easily. They're totally different than these white fibrous clots that are large, whitish in color, and very tough, very hard to break. So we made sure to make that distinction before we had the embalmers take the survey so they could, you know, they weren't answering, thinking that we're talking about uh, chicken fat clots. Well, no, what we're talking about are these all-new white fibrous clots. So, it's, I mean, that's shocking, the percentage of uh, 
corpses that the embalmers are finding these clots in. And it, and it correlates a little bit to, we know that 80% of Americans got at least the first two jabs. I was on the CDC's tracker site the other day, and uh, it, uh, it was close to 80% of Americans over the age of 18 took at least the primary series. Now, fortunately, Americans, I think, are starting to get the picture because this latest Omicron bivalent booster, that, according to the CDC's uh, vaccination tracker site, less than just less than 20% have taken the Omicron bivalent booster of Americans over 18 years old. And, um, you know, that's that's a good sign. It means the Americans, I think, are figuring out that the shots aren't working, right? They're, they're getting shots, they're catching COVID anyways, they're passing it to other people. They're hearing about things like myocarditis, right? And I'm hoping they, they may start hearing some more things about these white fibrous clots, because I think it's also a serious contributor to uh, this, this died suddenly phenomenon that we're seeing going on. One thing I would like to see, if any of the listeners or viewers are able to do this, um, and it may be difficult to do, um, but do some sort of overlay map where, you know, specific areas, states or regions to see if there's more of these fibrous clots reported compared to areas that uh, may have received some of those batches that were more related to injury, or if there was a negative association, right? Because if people die as soon as they get the shot, then they're not alive later to be embalmed to have these fibrous clots in their bodies. Either one would be interesting. Yeah, the unfortunate thing was there is, you know, we, like I said, we only got 128 responses. So we really didn't have enough data to, in order to do regionality. Because if you think about, you know, we, I sent it to 30 states. So that means I only got on the average four responses per state, you know, out of the 30 states I sent to. So that really wasn't enough to detect regionality. We did get responses from all over the country. But in the responses, and I'll tell you that in the responses we got, we saw we, from every single region, we saw responses said they were seeing the clots and those that said they were not seeing the clots. And we did. The, we also looked for any kind of red versus blue bias. You know, I, like I said, I sensed this, you know, red states like Texas, Ohio, and, and uh, Florida, but I also sent to blue states like California, Illinois, Massachusetts, New York. And we didn't see it. It was kind of refreshing. We didn't see any... Uh, Red, a blue a bias because we got, uh, you know, blue states saying we saw the clots and those, those saying we didn't. And in red states, we got those saying we saw the clots and those we didn't. But I'd rather do a more uh, deeper study with, with, um, with more data, with more responses in order to ter- determine that regionality. Because I know several of the uh, folks I've talked to have mentioned the same question you have. Because there were certainly some, it sounds like there were some hot batches, right, that were sent to certain places and those that were not. Right. And one thing that I, I'm glad that you did this is kind of look at um, states and, and their political views a little bit, um, because I was listening to Steve Dace once, and he was doing a roundtable with uh, Daniel Horowitz and can't remember who else. But one thing that Steve Dace had said was, you know, could there be some mass – I don't think he used this. This is kind of my interpretation of what he said, but could there be some mass um, – formation around the shots, right? So could certain states where you've got to get this, I'm going to call it a sacrament because this is a religion, um, you have to get the sacrament and, you know, you have some mild injury from this this sacred injection that they're putting into you. And I use that with air quotes and lots of um, ridicule. Um, and you, you have to put it in you. And let's say you have a minor injury, not a severe where you're dead or severely incapacitated afterwards, would you be less likely because everyone around you is saying, this is the best thing ever. This, this is the only thing that's going to save you. Everybody's got to get their shots. Would you be less likely to claim that you've been injured at all 
And I think that's very reasonable because peer pressure is a very significant force. Yes, it is. And, and uh, there's a professor, I you probably watched some of his videos. His name is Matthias Desmet. I think he's from Belgium. He's done some videos with uh, various uh, uh, interviewers where he talks about this uh, formation of mass psychosis formation where people get locked into, like you say, their, their, their particular view and they don't want to move off of it no matter how much evidence you show them to the contrary. It's almost as if it's a religion at that point. So it's interesting you say that because I've noticed that myself. Uh, one of the things I actually did, this is kind of off the subject a little bit, but I uh, was fired from my uh, defense contractor job uh, in October of 2021, right after Joe Biden put out the mandates on the military, the uh, defense contractors, and the government civilians. And I refused to take the jab, and uh, the, our three-star general at my Air Force base in Wright-Patterson, Ohio, sent out an email that I thought was kind of insulting to those of us who weren't vaccinated, trying to guilt us into getting the, the shot. So I sent back an email to him basically saying, uh, it's shame on you. Instead of standing up for our right to decide for ourselves whether or not to get injected with these experimental drugs, you chose to spend your time trying to guilt us into getting the jab. Shame on you. And I didn't just send the email back to the general. I sent it back to all 30,000 people that work at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Ohio. Ohio yeah, Wright-Patterson is the uh, largest single-site employer in the state of Ohio. And uh, they pulled this, the email that I sent off the system fairly quickly, but it still got to thousands and thousands of people. And the reason I know that is, is after the uh, incident, of course, about a half hour later, I was called and I was fired from my $165,000 a year defense contractor job for uh, shaming the general in front of everybody in the base. But it was worth it because there were no, no colonels, no generals, nobody fighting back, nobody pushing back on the mandate saying this is wrong to, to, to you know, demand that somebody be injected with an experimental drug totally violated the Nuremberg Code, totally violated any kind of ethics. It actually violated the core principle of which this country is founded on, which is individual liberty. Your decision to decide for yourself how you're going to live your life. Amen. Amen, Dr. Sam. So, but after that happened, I actually, I stood out on a uh, busy street corner for over 120 days with a sign saying, no vax mandate. And during that time, I probably saw about a half a million cars go by me. It was, you know, it had like four lanes of traffic each way, two turn lanes, you know. It was close to, it was close to, yeah, close to a Walmart and uh, a Best Buy and an Olive Garden and a Lowe's, you know, a really busy area. And it was close to the base too, which was nice because I would see men and women in uniform coming to lunch and things. So I'd stand out there during all from lunchtime all the way through uh, rush hour going home. And what I would typically see, Dr. Sam, is uh, about 70% of the drivers would do nothing. They're either busy in their day or they don't care or they're afraid to speak out. There were about 20%, 20% who uh, liked the sign. He said, you know, gave me a thumbs up, honked their horn, you know, waved at me. There was still that 10%, though, these people that are locked into this mass formation psychosis who said, F you, you know, get the shot, you're killing grandma. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And what was strange was, is over the, I, I, I started holding the sign actually before I got fired from my job. I, I spent my summer vacation or vacation in September of 2021, holding the sign for two weeks in a row. And then I did it over the whole next year 
about every few days or so, I'd go out and hold the sign all the way through the fall of 2022. And that percentage never changed. You would think as more data came in about how the, how the shots were getting worse and worse and how people could see there were breakthrough cases and it wasn't stopping you from catching or transmitting it, the, the ratio never really changed. The people that were locked in to the mandates and getting the shot and loving the shot continue to do so despite whatever information came out, you know, uh, against the, against the shots. That's something that's really interesting because that kind of corresponds with Milner and his experiment where, um, and if you haven't heard of it before, they actually did a pretty good movie on it. I think it was on Netflix. I don't think it was done. Yes, sir. Uh, I don't think it was done by Netflix, but it was on them a while back. And the experiment was in the 1970s, and there's some ethical violations with this now, so they can't do experiments like this. But they they had people come in, and they had a guy in a white suit or a white jacket, white coat with a clipboard, and the person um, was told that they were experiment that the, they were examining and watching the person that they were talking to. And they'd have this person answer some questions and they'd, you know, they'd be writing down. And if they answered the the person they answered the questions to that they couldn't see, but they could hear them. And if they answered the question wrong, they were supposed to give a shock. And before they started the, the whole experiment, they put the shocking device on the person who was asking the questions. He was actually the, the, the person who was being evaluated um, without their knowledge. And they gave him a few shocks and showed him how, when it got stronger, this is what it'd feel like. And so they, they knew what it felt like, you know, at first it'd be like a snapping of a, a rubber band and then it would get more progressively stronger with every wrong question. The, the shock would get stronger and it would get so bad that the guy that they couldn't see that was um, answering the questions wrong on purpose, that he was getting such a strong shock that he was screaming and pleading, please stop, please stop. I have a medical condition, please stop. And then he'd stop screaming and they would still deliver the shock. All because there was a position of authority. There was a person in a position of authority standing over them with a white coat and a clipboard. And about, I think it was about 10 or 20% stopped and said, I'm not doing this. You're crazy. I'm not doing this. And that's about the same percentages that you're seeing, which is interesting that there's something different about that, that small percentage, but that's the same amount of percent that made this country that went against the crown that made this country. That's the same percent that, that will save this country again. And I think it's interesting that while you were standing on a street corner holding a sign, I would have loved to have seen that. That would have been so encouraging to me because I was back in September of 21. That's right when I was first suspended from medical practice for giving out exemptions um, to service members. God bless you, by the way, for doing that. That took a lot of courage on your part. And I knew that you, you knew you were putting your career at risk by doing that. Yes, sir. But just like you, like, you know, you can't force me. It's my body. It's this whole, it's my body. It's my choice. This truly is my body that doesn't involve anyone else's body. And it is my choice. And I choose not to put a bioweapon into my body, especially when they lied about the lipid nanoparticles, how the lipid nanoparticles are dangerous, how they have incomplete, uh, safety data sheets, meaning the, Secretary of Defense was in violation of his own DODI, DOD instructional of exposure in the workplace. And and I applaud you, sir, for giving a big um, single finger salute to this general. My, my goal was if I could get a few people, especially like moms or dads, not to jab up their kids. You know, if I could get one mom not to jab up her child, then I consider myself successful. And I'm, I'm hoping that I did sway people because I didn't I didn't just have the sign. I also had a megaphone and I would, you know, spout out, you know, with, when the cars are stopped, with their windows rolled down on a nice summer day. I say, hey, did you realize, you know, 
Michelle Lewinsky, Joe Biden, his wife, and Dr. Fauci all got four shots, and they still got the COVID anyways. Then they took Paxlovid and got COVID two weeks again later. You, know, so that, you throw those kind of facts at them, and it, it just makes it sound silly. Why are you continuing to get these shots, right? So I would, you know, and every, and every week new information would come out about how something you know, is wrong with the, with, the, with the jab. So it wasn't hard for me to get information. And one thing I also want to make sure I mention, because obviously the, this jab, and I don't call it a, a vaccine because it's not, it's a bio, it is a bioweapon. Um, and the, the bioweapon is covered under EUA, emergency use authorization. And a couple of weeks ago, I went to the dentist office to get my teeth clean. They said, hey, sir, there, there's a mask over there. Go ahead and put that on. I said, no, I choose not to enter into your experiment. I'm like, huh, what? <laughs> and so eventually it led to the officer in charge of the clinic, the OIC, to come out and talk to me, this lieutenant colonel dentist. And I explained to him how under 21 USC 360BBB-1 uh, and 10 USC 1107 Alpha, it's illegal, unlawful for him to tell me to use uh, a product that's under emergency use authorization because those surgical masks are under, a under EUA. And so I have to accept all the risk if I do that. And I don't accept any of those risks and I choose not to. And then the other argument is, well, I could use a cloth mask. No, because it's not a medical device. It's clearly not a medical device. It's not going to stop anything. But why would I use a surgical mask that also will not stop anything, as the best surgical masks we have are N95s, and they can stop 0.3 microns, which is pretty small. The virus is half that size at 0.15 microns. So it whizzes through both directions and never stops. <laughs> God bless you for being uh, non-compliant. Getting back to our survey a minute, like I said, at the very end of the survey, like, so, so the three main points, by the way, is like I said, seven out of 10 embalmers are seeing these Wi-Fi verse clots. And, you know, like I said, 88, 88 out of the 128 respondents said they're seeing the clots. The uh, consensus from the embalmers is that the clots uh, first started in the year 2021 and continued into 2022, which suspiciously implicates the vaccines. And then the third big one is that uh, embalmers are seeing these uh, white fibrous clots in some up to 50% or more of their corpses. So that's a big deal, right? That those are, so the, and the next thing I want to know or want to do is actually try to get this information to all the people like, you know, thank you for helping me uh, platform to get, get this information out. I'm trying to get it out to as many people as possible, eventually get it to the CDC and FDA. I actually requested that I be able to speak today. There was a meeting that's taking place today at the FDA. And they're given one hour for uh, oral presentations. I actually requested to speak. They're given each speaker three minutes to talk, so 20 speakers. So I was going to condense my uh, survey results and and give a three-minute speech on this. Unfortunately, I was not selected as one of the speakers. They had a lottery, and I did not get picked. But I did submit a written package with the results of my survey, you know, imploring them that this needs immediate investigation. And you you you. you you think about, well, will the FDA and CDC take any action based upon the actions they've taken in the past? It's kind of, hmm. So you know, I've also, uh, I think another step that needs to be taken is maybe uh, put this in front of Congress. And I'm, I'm actually in favor of putting a moratorium, a ban of, of five years on these mRNA injections until Big Pharma can prove to us that they are not uh, uh, unsafe. Because I think there's so much information out there that, that proves there are definitely some major problems with this that we need to say stop and not do this any, anymore until they can prove to us that these uh, that these injections are, are safe and effective, which I, I believe they're neither. <laughs> 
And I would agree with you wholeheartedly with the little caveat of let's not narrow it down to mRNA. Let's try and keep it wide with the lipid nanoparticle because they're going to start putting those into your traditional flu shots, your M, M, uh, MR and all your childhood shots because that I believe that is the bioweapon technology. I see. Okay, so that's that's a good point. You know, and if Congress, you know, Congress doesn't always uh, do what we want them to do either. So I think that, you know, the last line of defense is you, right? You have the option of educating yourself, of deciding whether or not you want to take these injections or not. I have, for myself, I am definitely never taking any of these injections. And so, you know, if, if all else fails, the last line of defense is the American citizen themselves. At the very end of the survey, we gave the embalmers an opportunity to provide comments if they wanted to. And what's interesting is in the survey, we never mentioned the words COVID. We never mentioned the word COVID vaccine. In terms of these, all we asked them about these white fibrous clots is, you know, are you seeing them? When did you see them? Where on the body did you see them? And, and, and what percentage of your corpses are you seeing them? We never mentioned COVID vaccines or COVID itself. But despite that, we got quite a few answers from embalmers that talk about the vaccines. So let me read a couple of them to you, Dr. Sam. Here's one from Alabama. I've seen clotting coming from most any of the points of incision. I mainly embalm in common carotids, and I've seen many white fibrous clots about the same time the vaccine came out. I've also seen an increase in co since COVID for the jelly clots. Here's a naysayer comment from California. I've never seen any white fibrous clots or any increase in grape jelly clots. Not sure what you're getting at. Do you believe this is vaccine related or something? I've embalmed over 500 people from 2020 to now, and I've never seen any of this. Here's another one from Ohio. People that were COVID confirmed had bad grape jelly clots. It was early 2021 when we started seeing the white fiber structures being pulled out of both the veins and the arteries. Like you said, the, you know, um, embalmers typically find these uh, fine clots, the, the, the traditional grape jelly ones and these uh, chicken fat clots um, that are also been common for forever in the veins primarily. They're usually very rare that they find in the arteries, but they're starting to find these white fiber structures in the arteries as well. So he's to go on, he says, prior to 2021, we never pulled a clot from an artery. I just pulled a white structure from the right common carotid yesterday. Here's another one from Missouri. The clots look uh, like large nightcrawler worms. They are usually very long. They kind of branch off from the main clot. I started noticing them after the COVID vaccine came out. I've been embalming for the last 13 years and have only started seeing these clots for the last year or two. Here's one from Arizona, another naysayer one. I have seen zero changes to the presentation of human remains in the last few years. It is clear that this is a poor attempt at farming anecdotes to malign the COVID vaccine. Please don't do this or claim that any anonymous survey data is any sort of substitute for rigorous scientific research. It, it, this proves, by the way, that I didn't uh, I didn't discriminate against any answer. Right, I kept all the answers to the survey I got. I trusted the integrity of the embalmers taking the survey to tell me the truth of what they were seeing. And like I said, I threw no answers away. I kept everything, all the data that I, that I got. Here's another one from Idaho. My clients have had the COVID vaccine, have passed of COVID, 
and have remarkably more clots. So much so that I began to ask families if their loved ones have had the vaccine. So he's one of the few that's done that. Most embalmers don't, because you know it's a time of grief for the family, and they don't want to add any emotional pain by asking a, a question that's very controversial, like you know, did your deceased loved one get the vaccine? So I can understand why embalmers, you know, tend not, and they don't usually deal with the uh, the family as much, anyways, right? It's the funeral director who runs the funeral home that usually deals with the family. Here's a really strange one. This is the scariest thing I've seen in the last 20 years. I worry every day if me or my family have them growing inside of us. That's from an embalmer. So he's actually, you can see he's getting freaked out, right? He's doing these embalmings. He's finding lots of these white fibers clots in his corpses. And he's wondering what's, you know, obviously he had the vaccine, must have taken the vaccine. And now he's worried about what's happening inside his body. Here, I'll read you one last one here from Ohio. Some of the fibrous clots were six to eight inches long, six to eight inches long, and almost impossible to break with forceps. That's how tough these are. So that, I read you about eight uh, responses there. Six of them said they were seeing the clots, and then two naysayers saying they were not seeing the clots, which was about the same ratio that we had you know, in the answer to that, the question about uh, what percentage are seeing the clots. So I think it's definitely a signal. I think it's definitely it's a Houston, we have a problem here, and that further investigation needs to be done to see what's going on with these white fibrous clots and if they are linked in any way to the COVID-19 vaccines. I think it's it's wonderful what you've done here. And I what I particularly love about this is that you're not in the medical profession. You are a layperson. And that what that means is anyone can do what you did. You don't have to be some someone from an ivory tower of a medical community to go, I wonder if. You can just start wondering if. You don't need permission to wonder if. And and you can set up the infrastructure to get good answers. And sure, this is not, you know, randomized controlled study. Right. We'll never have those for this. And and you had mentioned that it was maybe a coincidence. That I don't you... think they want to run them, do you? I, yeah. They, they don't want to run them. I think Dr. Ryan Cole says it best. He says, basically, it's going to be hard for you to find a problem if you don't go looking for it. Right. If you're walking around with blinders, you can't see. Period. You'll never see the problem. You'll never see the answer. You'll never see anything. Um, but I, wa- I was curious. I, w- I wanted to know the answer, you know, and I'm, and I'm a data geek. I guess I'm a math major from Ohio State. I have an electrical engineering, in- engineering degree from Louisiana Tech. I, I've, I worked with the whole 36 years. I was in the Air Force and worked as a defense contractor with the Air Force. I analyzed data. That's, that was my job on a daily basis you know, as an engineer. So I'm data-driven, and uh, it was a fun project for me. But, uh, but unfortunately, it's given me an alarming answer, which I think definitely needs to, uh, to be further researched. And what I want everyone who listens to this to think, how can, you know, if you're interested in this fight, you're like, well, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm just an engineer. Well, this is what you can do. This is how you can help in this fight. And again, this is this is not a physical fight. This is not vigilante justice. This is these are numbers fights. These are fights for the human mind, for for the kingdom of God. That's what these are. And I, we haven't talked about this. I don't know if you're um, a believer. Um, most people that I've run into um, have a, a spiritual faith of some sort, and most have been Christian. And the other, you know, smaller majority have been Jewish. I haven't run into other faiths um, yet. But this is a battle in the unseen realm. This is a battle for your mind, for your heart, for your soul. And 
And what we need to do is have everyone understand that and stand up for God's kingdom and and gain that ground. And this is not a physical fight. This is a fight over the hearts and the minds to, to win people over. And for those that have had the shot already, there's forgiveness at the foot of the cross. There is. Or whatever religion you are, every religion that I know of has a way of redemption and forgiveness. But in Christianity, which I am and I, I advocate for it, there's redemption at the foot of the cross. All you have to do is, is ask for forgiveness and believe in Jesus. And that doesn't mean you won't go through hardships. That doesn't mean you won't have the consequences of your earthly decisions. But that doesn't mean that you have to live with that same decision for the rest of your life with, with that, that burden on your heart. I agree with you completely. Uh, you know, the um, vast American public, like I said, 80% of the people got the first two shots. And most of them did it out of the goodness of their heart because they wanted to protect themselves and uh, not get others infected because they were being told if you got the shots, you couldn't transmit it or, you know, couldn't catch it or transmit it to others. So I'm not going to fault anybody who got the shots because I, th I think the vast majority of people did it out of the goodness of their hearts. It's unfortunate they were lied to. That Those that were uh, administering the shots knew that they would not stop you from catching COVID or transmitting it before they even roll the vaccines out. And that's unfortunate that, uh, that they duped the, the American public. I'm also, it's a, it's a little disappointing that people so quickly abandoned their God-given immune system to, you know, to, to automatically have faith in the authority of these, of these man-made shots. So I totally agree with you that uh, there's a spiritual component to this as well. And that we, that maybe this is a good wake up call for people, right? That now they, Trust a little bit more in what God has provided for you. You've got a great natural immune system. Don't damage it by getting these shots. If you've already gotten these shots, don't get any more. And even if you haven't had any problem, maybe you got the shot. And most people got the shot and haven't had any symptoms, haven't had these adverse side effects. But that doesn't mean it can't happen in the future. Um, there's a good chance if those people got are, are feeling fine it's because they got a dud. You know, the, the, these shots had to be stored at very low temperatures in order to keep the mRNA active. And it's quite possible that, you know, you saw these long summer lines of football stadiums with, you know, cars lining up, people getting their jabs. Maybe by the time you got your jab, the mRNA went inert. And, 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 and you know, basically you got some sludge put in your arm that was that didn't, didn't even do the job it was supposed to do. But you can count yourself as a lucky one for that because it didn't turn your body into a spike protein factory. So, I, I, I totally agree with you, uh, Dr. Sam. You know, pray about it um, and, and trust a little bit more your God-given natural immune system. It's worked for man for centuries, and it'll continue to work for you. And there's one other thing that you mentioned that I think was very interesting. You said maybe it was a coincidence, maybe it wasn't, but that, that, that lady that you were working with, um, I think you said she's from Northeast Ohio. What's interesting is, and this is from listening to a rabbi, um, he's a podcast that I listen to, used to listen to pretty regularly. And he said that the word and the idea of a coincidence is not in Hebrew, meaning that idea and that word does not exist in God's language. So really that idea and that word shouldn't exist in our vernacular because it's not a coincidence. It was a divine appointment. She found me in a sea of about 800 comments to that Substack article by Steve Kirsch. For her, and it was way down in the bowels of the comments. She just happened to be scrolling all the way in, you know, deep into the comments and saw my comment. I'm, I'm with you. I don't think it was coincidence. I think it was God's hand to work to give me the assistant, the, the tool that I needed 
to somebody who knew SurveyMonkey that would allow me to, 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 to make this thing happen, to make this survey happen and go nationwide. So I count my blessings every day. And she's a good friend, and uh, we've, we've got a close relationship now because because of this. And we've, we both feel like we're doing God's work and trying to reveal his truth about these white fibrous clots to the world. And and there has been some good things that, that have come out of this terrible world tragedy is the relationship you just made and the relationships I've been able to make with people that I never would have met, never knew they would have existed. And it's it's when you're closest to the shadow. So imagine your hand, you're standing out in the sun, you've got your hand up and you can see the shadow of your hand. It's darkest right next to where it's the brightest. Because right in those dark areas, that's we're to be God's hands and feet and to go into those dark areas and bring his kingdom. And so I want to applaud you for what you're doing. And I want the listener, the viewer to, to understand, look, all is not lost. There's redemption at the foot of Christ. There, We are to be God's hands and feet. You know, people say, well, how is this? How did God let this happen? Well, we are left to our own devices and we've caused this. And we are to be God's hands and feet to go help his children, our fellow humans, and help them out of this, help open their mind in a kind, gentle way, help give them uh, medical ways to help them correct this if, if it is correctable, and, and then ultimately to give them, and not for fire insurance sake, but to make their life better now, help share the word with them. Amen. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, sir. I truly appreciate it. I know I want to be respectful of your time, so we'll, we'll cut off here, but thank you so much. If there's any way I can help you spread your message, um, I'll try and get this message out as quick as I can, because this is a very important message, and we need to get more people doing what you've done and expand this search. Thank you, Dr. Sam. Much appreciated. Thank you, sir. Just a reminder for everyone out there, duty uniform of the day, the full armor of God. Let's all make courage more contagious than fear. All right, so I got one more little bit of an encore. This is a little unusual. I haven't done this before. Uh, but there's this man who, who cuts my hair uh, on post. His name is Smokey White. Now, Smokey White has done quite a few things in his life. He's a true Renaissance man. He, he's a musician. He's been a sheriff. Um, he, he's done a lot of things in his life. Now, he, he asked me to play this song for you, and it's kind of a heartbreaking song. It sounds like it's it's a love song, and and I guess it kind of is, but it's it's more of a love song, not like a romantic love, but a more of a love for humanity type of song. How you just you meet someone and you just love them, and you love seeing them, and you love being around them, and then the heartbreak of knowing you'll never see them again. So the origins of this story go back about three years ago. Smokey was cutting hair, and it was way past lunch, and he wasn't feeling so good. He didn't get a lunch break, and this kind of elderly woman saw him. And she's leaving the post exchange, the PX, and she goes, you know, young man, I'm, I'm, I'm diabetic, and I know what it what it looks like when when your sugars are low. And here's a piece of candy here, and so it became kind of this tradition that every Sunday, this nice older woman would come and visit Smokey, and and give him a piece of candy. And this went on for about three years, and then probably about six months ago or so, this woman quit showing up on Sundays, and then just a few months ago. A much younger lady showed up and she goes, she talks to Smokey and says, here, here's this bag of candy that my mother had purchased. She, she's deceased now. She died. 
she got the, the COVID shot and she was found dead in her home about a week later. And, and she used, we know she used to bring this candy to you. So here we hope you can enjoy it. And, and we're sorry she won't be coming anymore. And that's the motivation for this song. So please think of that story when you hear this song and, and just think of countless stories like just like that across the entire United States and the world and why it is so important for Nuremberg 2.0 to happen for these, these poor people who were coerced, tricked, lied to, and, and now they don't have a voice anymore. So let's go ahead and listen to this song. No more sugar No sweet smile Just emptiness God, I'm a lonely child No more consoling No big No goodbyes Lord, I'm sinking down in the mud I'm a loaded child I'm a loaded man Just trying to hold on Do the best I can I'm a loaded child I'm a loaded man I'm all alone in this world I done lost my best friend I'm a 
not a lonely man Just trying to hold on Do the best I can I'm a lonely child I'm a lonely man I'm all alone in this world I done lost my best friend I'm a lonely child I'm a lonely man I'm a lonely child I'm a lonely man I'm a lonely child I'm a lonely man I'm a lonely child I done lost my best friend